Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Well, that wasn't a bad start to the new season. 4-1 winners over Southampton and Tottenham now top of the Premier League table. Alistair Gold is joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? I'm all right, but just going to ask a question. Can we stop the season now? Are we okay to do that? Just just the one weekend? No, nah, I think he's got to go on a bit longer. But I mean, is it Tottenham's title to lose now? <laughs> I just want to double check, actually. I didn't even think about it. Are Everton... Uh... Uh, am I putting Everton in danger if I stop the... No, we're season? safe. We're safe You're as safe. it stands. Yeah. Well, there you go then. Everyone everyone wins. Um, I saw someone saying on Twitter whether Arsenal fans would take, were they, second or third? Second. Would they take that if Spurs finished top? <laughs> so probably wouldn't, I'd imagine. But uh, no, it was a very good way to start the season. Real kind of verve and swagger to the way Tottenham played, especially after that little 12th minute hiccup. Um, terrific atmosphere. Really enjoyed kind of going on the trains to the game and coming back. Just the excitement and the, the chatter among the fans and how much they were looking forward to it, which was completely in contrast to the bizarre nature of social media building up to the match. Um, but the fans, the actual fans who were there on the day were so excited. And I think that translated to the atmosphere at the ground and a terrific day to start off and, and really lots of positives for us to speak about. Look, Southampton were, how do I put this, not in the best shape in the world. Um, you could definitely see the fitness difference between the two teams, but certainly, yeah, really positive way to kick off the new season. Yeah, I did say it'd be 4-0 as well. So James Ward-Prowse uh, ruined it. In the 12th minute. I and mean, I went for 3-1. So kind of a combo yeah. of our two predictions. Yeah. I mean, it was a really good goal from uh, James Ward-Prowse. And then after that, Ryan Sessegnon getting a really good header. Eric Dyer as well, stooping header. A comical own goal from Salasu. And then Dane Kulaseski uh, to round it up. I mean, it's not often Spurs score four and then Kane and Son's not on the score sheet. It just was... The perfect start to the new season and there's certainly uh, plenty more to come from Tottenham. So, Ali, first of all, do you want to just give us your thoughts on on the win? Just the quality across the pitch was the main thing for me. You know, Conte's been quite big this kind of recent weeks and towards the end of the season he was speaking about it as well, of, of wanting to build a Tottenham team. I think that opponents... I don't think he went as far as saying feared, but more would worry about taking on. And, you know, sitting there listening to Raf Hassan, who's the of the game, he just absolutely, <laughs> they, they were worried about Tottenham. Um, I've got a couple of his quotes here, just because it really nicely kind of says it all. Um, I felt a little bit like the opponent switched into the next gear and we could not follow. And it was frustrating to see how big the gap is between the two teams. And then later on, he said... Um, there was a nice little line about quality, he said. Let's see if I've got it here. 
strong side. They're playing for Champions League and for titles. You can see they have strength throughout the team and still players like Richarlison, who is not playing. There is quality everywhere. And that's it. This is what we've been trying to say and what Conte has been trying to say. It's just about not having a starting eleven anymore. It's about having a squad. And, you know, you and I doing these podcasts last season when we were talking about all the academy kids on the bench who were essentially spectators. They were never coming on. Um, but, you know, you had four or five at times on that bench. Yesterday, I think it was eight senior players couldn't even get in the squad, including Skippy. Um, it might have even been excluding Skippy, which is just, it's just such a different Spurs right now. And I know there was a lot of pre-match talk about new signings, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But to see him bring on five different players, all who could easily start in that Tottenham Hotspur team and bring terrific quality to that team, and then bring them all off the bench in the last 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes with um, Perisic, it's just... It's a world away from from what we've been kind of getting used to at Tottenham. And I think that's what translated into the performance we saw. And like I said earlier about the fitness, we've all seen, you know, I was out there in Korea. I beamed back the photo, beamed back. It sounds like something from the 1970s. I put on Twitter the photo of them all essentially lying there half dead on the side of the pitch. Um, but yesterday, you uh, sorry, Saturday, you saw exactly why that had to happen because by the 60-minute mark, Southampton were absolutely blowing. They were gone, whereas Spurs, I felt, in the last half hour, were breaking at will. They were like, they didn't, they didn't look like they were slowing down in any way. Some of those late breaks that really should have brought even more goals. Um, like I say, Southampton, I think they may have some struggles this season. I think that's fair to say. I think they're going to be that yo-yo team again of some really surprisingly good performances against some teams, but also some dreadful ones. But I think if we go down too far down that road of saying it's all about Southampton, I think we'd be doing an enormous disservice to Spurs because they controlled the game. They were very comfortable. 18 shots on goal, eight on target, scored four. I think they had something like 57% of the possession. They had a lot more of the possession. Um, yeah, terrific performance to start everything off. And just like I say, the mood in the stadium was brilliant. It really was. I worry for Saints this season. Yeah. I mean, they struggled, really struggled at the back end of last season. And then the players are bringing in just like 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds and putting them straight in into the first team and yeah Saints didn't have a good day but as you were saying I think you've got to give an awful lot of credit to Antonio Conte and the Tottenham team as well for that performance and probably the one disappointment for me was it was only four goals it should yeah. have been a lot more so they had so many chances hopefully they're saving those for Sunday against Chelsea uh, but nice. you know things are going to take a while you know to click and to take those chances. But I think it was a, a really, really impressive start and there's certainly so much more to come from this Tottenham team. And what you were saying a couple of minutes ago about the squad where it was able to bring on five players who could potentially start for Tottenham, the good thing is Oliver Skip uh, is still to come into the squad. Richarlison, there was no Tanganga, no Sar, they were left out. There's the possibility of a couple more new signings who could come into the squad. Yeah. So things are heading in the right direction and he's got the competition, what he certainly needs. I think we need to start anyway with uh, 
the team news uh, for the Southampton game. So it's fair to say it was a bit of a talking point before the game. I think it was pretty much as we expected it to be. Uh, In one of the training videos, Tottenham released, I think the day before the game, Conte had split them up, his players up into two separate groups and Emerson and Ryan Sessignon were in the orange team, uh, Clement Longley as well. They were practically the first team players and the only change from that was Davis coming in instead of uh, Longley. I know a lot of people were disappointed following the addition of six new players, five of them who were available for selection and they were all on the bench. But I think Conte... uh, basically uh, put things right, didn't he, in his press conference, what you were in after the game and explained himself. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where I think we kind of saw it as quite common sense and that's exactly the words that Conte used afterwards. You know, you've got these six players, obviously, which Charleston can play, but the other five, they're all varying fitness levels. None of them are quite exactly where they need to be yet, but they will be. Um, and I do think it all comes down to this idea of still seeing it as a starting eleven rather than a squad, and that is what Conte is kind of trying to drum out of everyone. And I don't think I think the media will struggle with it as well. You know, I, I can still see people saying, "Well, where's Richarlison going to fit in?" And it's like, "Well, no, that's the whole point. At the moment, it's one game a match, but in September, as Conte said, you're going to go be going to three games. Uh, sorry, one game, one game a week, and in September it will be three games a week." And, you know, the likes of Richarlison will be will be starting every other game, maybe, you know. And, and a lot of these, but that midfield with so many options and the left wing-backs and the right wing-backs and, and in centre-back as well. So, yeah, from what it seems like in training that Longley was going to training on the left of that back three, but there was always the feeling that Ben Davies was going to be fit and ready for the game. Um, and yeah, as you say, Conte said afterwards, he explained it really simply and I can't see how anyone would struggle really with his explanation. He just said straight off, the older players, as he called them, those who were there before the transfer window, I trust them. I've worked for six, seven months with them. I, they know exactly what I want. I know exactly what they can do and I know they're going to deliver exactly what I want to the very letter of it. The new players, they will get there. They've started this process. They're going to be, you know, he's very, he said himself, I'm very excited about the addition of these players. But on the opening day of the season, I know exactly what this 11 I've chosen are going to bring me on that pitch. And, you know, as if it wasn't the, you know, the biggest indicator, they won 4 1, <laughs> could have won, you know, they shouldn't have really conceded that goal either. It could have been something like 6 0, the end result. Um, so his decision was absolutely right. And I think the thing that slightly annoyed me, there were a few comments just after the team news. It was either just after, because you and I kind of had a, an idea of what the team was going to be um, a few days before. And, and some of the comments were things like, Tottenham Hotspur just never changes. It's always the same. And you kind of think, if that starting eleven, essentially Romero swapping for Sanchez, was the one that finished the season against Norwich, they finished fourth. That's a very good team. It's a really, really good team. They were making out people as if like ours is mid-table to relegation threatened side. No, no. It's a top four team that has got into the Champions League that Conte has been working with non-stop. Um, that's a great starting eleven. It was absolutely fine for the job today. 
yeah, we're all excited about the new players coming in. We're excited about what Basuma can do, what Richardson would do, what Longley can do. Longley gave us a little glimpse, I think, of he did a lovely um, long left-footed uh, pass to Son after he came on, which was really nice. Um, and Perisic as well, you know, another terrific uh, addition. But, I mean, I guess this is that's a lovely example in itself of everyone calling before the game, oh, Perisic has to start. He has to start. He is the man. Ryan Sessegnon goes in and puts a terrific performance in. And that's absolute testament to what Conte is saying. He doesn't want the level to drop. He wants to be able to say, this match I will start Sessegnon. This match I will start Perisic. Either one of them I want. I can trust to do the job I want. Or likewise, with the five-sub thing now, I will have this player playing for an hour and I will bring on the other one for the last half hour and I would not see that level of quality diminish whatsoever. And I think we've just all, and you and I are going to be the same. We're going to talk about, no doubt, in podcasts and articles about how we want to see this player start or that player start. But hopefully we'll start edging more towards tactical reasons for that, not because we think one player is better or worse than the other. And I think that's exactly what Conte wants. I understand, like, obviously people want to see the new signings on the first day, but Ipasuma tweaked his hamstring in that Roma game. Yeah. We couldn't see him in, in the training video a few days before, so it's obviously question marks over him. So it's like... He hid his while... ice pack. While we were interviewing him in Israel, he had an ice pack under his trousers on his leg. <laughs> it's just like, of all the things not to kind of know that he had this... I'm surprised it wasn't dripping all water down his leg, but uh, yeah, we weren't aware of that until later in the week. Yeah, so obviously you want... Fans are wanting them to start, but it's like... Well, there were question marks about his fitness going into the game. So there's no need to start him. It's not like you're yeah. playing the Champions League final, like it was when Harry Kane was injured before the Champions League final and he came straight into the team. And then with Perisic, yeah, you can understand why fans want him in the eleven because he's a brilliant player. But if he's not at full fitness, don't risk him. There's got to be another couple of games coming up. Let him build up that fitness and then he can, you know, gradually come into uh, the team. but Especially no. that midfield. I think Benzema and Hobbio would have started anyway, even if Pesuma was full fitness. Yeah. Just for the first game, because of their partnership. They know each other inside out. Yeah, and I think we kind of got that indication as well from the pre-season games, that it was yeah. probably going to be those two together. And yeah, given the way they finished last season, no, because they didn't deserve to uh, be dropped from the eleven. But it's not bad. You know, thing for Conte, is it just having this selection dilemma coming up? Uh, The other thing he said as well, which was key for people to remember, he said these new signs have got to fight for their spot. They shouldn't just be rocking up and getting straight into that team. They need to know that they're at, you know, a big club. Obviously, Perisic has been at at big clubs as well, but certainly for a lot of these players coming in, they've got to know they're not going to walk into this team. This is a top-four team in the Champions League. They've got to fight for their place. Yeah, 100%. Uh, as you'd mentioned, Ryan Sessegnon uh, a few minutes earlier. I think it's only right we you know, talk about him because he was fantastic. I think that's the Ryan Sessegnon we've been waiting to see for three years. I'd probably say that was his best performance in the Tottenham shirt. If not, he's certainly up there. Uh, that was Ryan Sessegnon of his early days at Fulham where he was, you know, bombing up and down and just being a general threat in and around the uh, final third. And 
you know, it was really nice to see him get that goal because his performance deserved it. I think what we both spotted a couple of minutes earlier was Rodrigo Bentenker putting such a brilliant ball into the box. But for whatever reason, he just didn't go and attack it. And yeah, you might not get on the end of it, but if you put the pressure on Kyle Walker-Peters, there's a chance he could potentially have got that header wrong and he could have fallen to his teammate. Uh, but thankfully, literally about a minute later, uh, Sessignon did score from a brilliant ball in from Kulosevsky. Uh It was a wicked delivery and just right place at the right time to head it home. And Sessignon did say after the match that basically, if you didn't get on the end of it, Antonio Conte would have killed him. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> I just love that. I love that kind of the thinking in his head the moment because, like you say, we were sat there and we were both saying, like, he looks so angry with himself, Sesmion. He's kind of got his head in his hands. He's like really, they flung them down when he took him away from his head. Um, and you just knew that was because he's got one eye on the bench and knowing that Perisic, you know, is, is kind of is there in reserve and waiting. Uh, but also because, you know, he said it out in, um, uh, where was it, Korea, he said it out there, that Perisic, you know, has, has been working with him and he's been working to try and improve him um, to become, well, look, if anyone knows exactly what it takes to be a, uh, a Conte wingback, it's, it's even Perisic. So, yeah, to have that in the back of his mind and then not to have gambled, yeah, it definitely was eating away at him. And that's what I think brought that goal, was it four or five minutes later? And he absolutely flung himself at Kudasevsky's cross. And it was a terrific header. The keeper had no chance. Um, and like you say, yeah, it, it may well be the best one. I think he had a couple towards the end of last season where he was really impressive. But what I would say about Saturday's one was that he was relentless in getting forward. And that's what we want from Ryan Sessegnon. I still believe that out of anyone in that club, Ryan Sessegnon is the most natural fit for a Conte wingback. Jed Spence may prove to be, he may prove to be, but I do think that Ryan Sessegnon, having kind of his career being born out of being a winger and a left-back at different times, it just takes everything that he's good at and puts it in one role. And I think he knows this as well. I think he's, he's acknowledged that in interviews in the past as well. So really, the foundation that he kind of had to build this season on, I think, was confidence in his body. He's had a lot of hamstring injuries. Conte referred to, I asked him about uh, Cess after the game and he referred to those injuries and just how much they've worked with him in trying to, I guess, build a foundation for his body to, to worry less about the hamstrings. I think they've strengthened a lot of the muscles around them so that he can put more pressure on other parts of his legs rather than, because I think that's the thing. I think there's this, maybe this thinking of, oh, I've got to strengthen my hamstrings and that's the way to go. Whereas actually, I think you've also got to build up the muscles around them as well, just as much. And also, I think he was overloading himself a little bit. I remember Conte saying last season that he was always also almost becoming too strong for his own body. And his body was having to carry around a lot of muscle mass and his upper body had been bulking up as well. Um, and I think just getting that balance right has been key. And we saw him doing a lot of work uh, during the summer with his personal trainer on various things. A lot of it looked... Uh, to be kind of based around movement that would um, cause his hamstrings issues. Um, and yeah, and I think you just saw a player on Saturday that wasn't worried that if I now sprint for this, am I going to pull my hamstring yet again? And you could see he wasn't. You know, fingers crossed, touch wood, whatever your superstitions are, it doesn't happen again. 
or at least for a long time, because if he can get a run of games under his belt, there's no kind of ceiling to what he can do. And, and Conte said it after the game. He said he's got great potential. He just has to show it. You know, we were talking amongst ourselves in the uh, the press um, area yesterday, uh, sorry, Saturday, about if this is early days, but if he can carry on the form from last season, carry on what he did on Saturday and make this a regular thing, he could maybe even get into the England squad at the perfect time for the World Cup because maybe there could be a spot on that left-hand side if, if, if Southgate goes with, a, uh, with wing-backs. If he can prove that he's the most natural fit for that, he could at least sneak into that squad. And I do think, you know, Conte touched on it as well, Perisic is going to be a huge influence. He's like a double-edged sword, Perisic, because he is such a terrific player in the position, and he is obviously his rival for the, the role. But on the flip side, he's also someone who is going to be an invaluable resource for um, Sessegnon to learn from. It's like the per it's, like, it's more than a decade between them, isn't it? And he's just got everything he can soak up from him. It sounds like Sessegnon's doing that, and Conte said he's perfect for him. I mean, you you can speak about it because you spoke to Sess afterwards in, in the mix zone, and what did he say about Perisic and everything? Yeah, basically he's been saying that uh, Perisic has been giving him, you know, plenty of advice on playing in the role, and Perisic did actually have a word with Sessegnon a couple of minutes before they went to warm up uh, ahead of the game, and basically what he was saying is, Kyle Walker-Peters is small. You need to be on him when the crosses come in. And that's exactly what Sessignon did for his goal. Uh, and also what Sessignon was saying was really interesting. I think his point is, you know, good performance down to having a full pre-season at Tottenham. So he's never had that since he's been at the club. He arrived carrying, I think it was a hamstring injury, what he uh, yeah. picked up on England under 21 duty. And then he's just had a number of issues ever since. So I think that full pre-season certainly has helped him. And now we're talking about his goal in the game. He also scored another one at the start of the second half, which was uh, disallowed for offside. And then I think Kuliseski played him through again not long after. And, you know, if it weren't for a brilliant tackle from Kyle Walker-Peters, then Sessegnon certainly might have had uh, a second goal. So Sess came off after... 66 minutes, I think maybe a tad harsh on him to come off. Yeah, he didn't uh, look happy. How, I think he really wanted to stay on. Yeah, given how well he played. Uh, but I think what says it all about his performance was he got a standing ovation uh, from the Indeed. Tottenham crowd and fully deserved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic on Saturday and hopefully a lot more to come from him. Yeah, and maybe... Well, I'm sure it actually was. That's maybe part of all the physical side of it, bringing him off at that time. Just to keep building. Because I think in every friendly, he's played around 60 minutes. I think that's about right. So it is, I guess, about not pushing him too hard. Because certainly towards the end of last season, he got quite a lot of game time having not played too many games. And I know that was part of the reason why they took him out of the England under-21s at the end of the season, just to make sure he wasn't over using those hamstrings and it's yeah it's been about a gradual building up of him and uh it's terrific anyone that knows me knows that i'm a big Cess fan i think the world he's kind of got a world at his feet really if you can get over these hamstring issues that player that 16 17 year old we saw absolutely destroy defensive de uh, defenses you know 16 goals in his breakthrough season as well um, and that finish after the break, when he was flagged offside, that was a striker's finish. 
that finish into the bottom right corner was lovely. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do against Chelsea because Cesc deserves to start. Um, there may be a part of Conte's mind that thinks, in this big game, do I need a big game player with lots of experience of pressure and stuff like that in Perisic? Um, but the other great thing he's also got now is, is that both players' versatility means that at times he could play both on the same pitch together. He could kind of have one, you know, if they're switching to a back four, let's say, or even one playing on the left of a three, um, they can both switch to do that. So um, I'm hoping for a really big season from Cesc. I really hope so. I can't believe he's still early 22. It just seems like he's been around for years. So, I mean, he's got so many years ahead of him and you know fingers crossed those injuries stay away because he, he can be some player for Tottenham yeah obviously it was early right to praise this I think we've got to give praise to uh the man on the opposite flank Emerson Royale Ali yeah. do you want to start us off yeah the whole right side was terrific we'll talk about Kulisevsky in a minute but Emerson I felt I'd say first half wasn't quite as good. First half, obviously, we both felt he probably should have done better uh, to stop the cross coming in. It kind of went to ground a little bit too early with the with the Southampton goal. Um, and then he did have a few moments where he was struggling with his final ball, wasn't making quite the right choices. But the thing I really like about Emerson is how much his enthusiasm, I think, kind of balancing out any without sounding too harsh, any potential limitations to his game, I think is probably the only way you can say it because, you know, attacking-wise, yes, there are moments when his decision-making isn't the best, but I just think his overall enthusiasm, and as it's not meant to sound patronising anyway, it's, you know, it's not like one of these kids, oh, yeah, he tries really hard. It's not what I'm trying to say. It's more his energy levels are so ridiculous. It's like one of the fittest players on the pitch, you can see that, and... Because Spurs' game is built around their breaks and their counter-attacking, the speed of that, having someone like Emerson that is so desperate to get up the pitch as quickly as possible, but also has the fitness to come back and defend, I think that's that's really where his strengths lie. And there were so many times when we saw him breaking up the pitch, especially late in the game as well. I mean, I think it all kind of started to turn for him in the game when he got up to down the right-hand side and he kind of poked a ball through to Kane and Kane hit it on the fall and, and the keeper saved it. But I think from that moment on, he got a lot more confidence in what he was doing attacking-wise. And obviously we saw the uh, <laughs> the bizarre own goal, which, yeah, he, he made a really good run, Emerson. I think it was his tackle, wasn't it? And then the ball broke loose again. He took it on, knocked it to Hoybier, who knocked it to Son. Then Son didn't really have any options, so Emerson made a really intelligent run across the back line to get onto the left-hand side. Then, <laughs> a little bit like, do you remember the uh, the cross that he scored where it was deflected into the net and he kind of claimed it was his own goal? Against little, Brighton in the FA yeah, Cup, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little bit like that. With his cross on Saturday, it was actually a pretty not great cross because it wasn't actually going to anyone. But as with the Brighton goal, the defender just made such a ridiculous hash of it. Salisa has had a mare with Spurs recently, hasn't he? He was sent off in the game at St Mary's. Um, and then this goal where I kind of describes it as slicing the ball. But when you watch it back, he didn't even really do that. He just clearly couldn't use his left foot. And he just, yeah, just kind of passed it into his own net. So, you know, yes. I don't think it was a pass that was going anywhere from Emerson, but absolutely deserves massive credit for the run. 
the initial break, but also the run across the defence to get onto that left-hand side and create all manners of problems. Um, and then, obviously, with Kulisevsky late on, he, um, or late on, it was only about three minutes later, gets to the byline, pulls it back, nice ball, looked up, saw him, plays it in, grabs the assist, and I still want to petition against all football authorities that they need to change the rule. If you provide the pass that creates an own goal, you should get an assist. I don't see what the difference is. You are still providing a ball that resulted in a goal. Um, so Emerson, for me, should have had two assists on Saturday, but instead the records will only show one. Um, so, yeah, rule makers change that because it's just an absolute farce. I know it's not the biggest thing in, in the world, but still it really annoys me. Uh, so, yeah, Emerson, that was good. And, and do you know what? For a guy that I think we all expected to be the full guy out of those kind of three defenders, because, look, the way Conte talks about Matthew, as he calls him, Matt Doherty, you just get the feeling he's his first choice at the moment, that he's the man that kind of ticks all the boxes as a right wing back for him. And he was playing very well towards the end of last season before that knee injury. Jed Spence, he's made no bones about it. He's got to do a lot of work to become a Premier League player. Um, I think Jed Spence will play games this season, will impress and will really push his way up the pecking order. But quite rightly, he's got to work hard and he's got to fight for that spot. Uh, he's got to get his fitness levels up. Wing back, that is probably the role in the Conte team that is unlike any other in terms of fitness. Because you've got to be a defender, a winger and an auxiliary striker as well, scoring goals at the back post. Um, and actually, Emerson had a header that he looped just over as well. So he, he's kind of getting into that mindset of trying to get into the box, as he was with the third goal. Um, but yeah, with with Emerson, I think he'll have just given some food for thought there. He'll have just made it look like, you know, and he's got a good relationship with Conte. We saw him as he was coming off. Conte kind of roared his delight. He was very happy, and they both started cracking up after that. Um but I guess it depends on the market and who comes in with a bid. And if someone comes in with a good bid, my only thing about it is I don't think you keep all three. I, I just, I think as a squad wise, and I tried to get this out of Conte ahead of the game, I was a bit like, but how can you keep them all happy? And he kind of turned it round on me quite cleverly. He goes, you know, no, they've got to make me happy. And it's like, yeah, that's very funny. I get it. But you didn't actually answer the question. Kind of thing. You kind of swerved it with a very clever point. Um, and yeah, so we'll see. Spence obviously isn't going to go anywhere. He was not, you know, there was no intention from him of, of heading out on loan immediately. That wasn't the reason behind the move. He could have moved elsewhere if that was the case. Um, Doherty, like I say, I get the impression that he's the top, top choice or he will be there. But Emerson, it's his shirt to lose at the moment. So it's going to be an interesting month or so to see what happens in that position with those players. But yeah. Really good game from Emerson. Another one who's getting a lot of flack before the game when the team lineup came out. Um, and I think, yeah, I think he kind of uh, proved his point very nicely. He did. I imagine he's trying to claim that goal uh, in the changing rooms <laughs> after the game because I think it was adamant the one against Brighton was his goal. So yeah. I imagine they'll be doing the same. And I don't know if it was a cross. I thought it was a shot. Just really? a bad shot what wasn't near the target yeah Which uh, one, Brighton or this one or Southampton no this one against Saints oh really this one uh, yeah. it was like backwards though wasn't it it wasn't yeah, even little I, I just thought it was a bad shot <laughs> just because of the position where oh. he was I just oh, thought he was shooting and... 
having a look at the replay, I just thought it was a bit of a, a cross shot, but more of a shot. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but you sent it backwards. Yeah, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think it was an attempt to force it across the goal, thinking that someone would have followed in, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the video of him on Instagram uh, with Lucas and Richarlison? You mean the, the new game? boy band? The, yeah, the boy band. If you've not seen it, it's on Instagram. Uh, it's brilliant. Richarlison singing. I don't know what Emerson's playing at the back. <laughs> I don't know. Some of the vocals um, aren't quite on point. But, uh, yeah, they were certainly enjoying themselves. Because if, if you're not aware, Conte gave them uh, Sunday and Monday off afterwards. So I think a few of them have, have got quick little breaks away in. Um, and clearly the Brazilian lads having their own little <laughs> concert for the friends and family. Um yeah, so yes, I did see that. And and we also need to speak about Romero's celebration of Eric Dyer's goal as well, because talking about uh, South Americans, uh, talk us through that, Guesty. Talk us through exactly what happened in the aftermath of Eric Dyer's goal. Well, Dyer, I mean, I think we've got to praise him for that header. It was a really yeah, good, stupid First goal header. In three years as well. Last one against Everton. I think in so. The two-two. You'd, you'd remember, yeah. Yeah, uh, obviously scored in pre-season as well, but they don't officially count. Some players yeah, may say otherwise. Well. Yeah. Yes, and really good balling from uh, Son. So, yeah, as soon as Dyer scored, everyone was over there jumping on him. Uh, Christy Romero looked like he gave him a bit of a punch and then <laughs> in the slapped side. it in the side and then uh, repeatedly slapping him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bit bizarre but I, I think he certainly enjoyed it and I think it was just showing that he uh, he likes Eric put it that yeah, way it's his way of showing affection just honestly I could watch it a million times it's not done in any malice there's no kind of uh, it's not it's not heavy handed or anything it's just almost like when you've got a kid and they're trying to get your attention and they're like going like, dad 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 and they're like whacking you on the arm or the face or whatever on the cheek and it's just like that it's almost like eric eric it's me it's me i'm so happy i, I, I love you man i love you man it's honestly one of the funniest celebrations ever he is romero is such a character even yesterday he went in for one tackle that we were all like oh it was so borderline ropey um he is going to be such a world-class defender but he has just got such a wild side to him as well it's a, it's an amazing blend. Yeah, it's going to be interesting when Richarlison scores, what Romero does then. Was he just getting it out there, showing like, <laughs> yeah. if I do end up hitting Richarlison, I do it to all my teammates <laughs> when they score. You reckon he'll give so. him a proper slap and just, ah, oh, mate, it was just a laugh? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'd well. they get on now. To be fair, we saw them both um, protecting Sonny, didn't we, out in Korea? Kind of both of them leaping forward together. So I'd imagine, I think, you know, you know this very well. I think Richardson's one of those guys, isn't he? Outside the club, winds everyone else up in other teams. Inside the club is one of the most popular around. And I'm sure he and Romero will get on very well. Yeah, I think that, that's the case with all the Tottenham players. Yeah. In the training video they released the other day when they were walking into the gym, it was all the South American players together. Richardson was there with Romero and Benton yeah. Kerr as well. So, yeah. Of course, they're all going to get on. Then there's someone else we have to talk about, uh, Dan Kulisewski. What a performance. It was just incredible. Uh, 
thankfully managed to get his name on the score sheet with a brilliant finish in the second half. Uh, really good crossing as well for Ryan Sessignon. I think it was, what, five goals, eight assists in yep. 18 appearances or something last season for Spurs. Uh, he's just carried on uh, where he left off. I mean, given the signing of Richarlison, people might be thinking Kulisewski, potentially the fall guy out of the three of them because you're not going to drop Kane or Son. But he showed exactly why he uh, he should be in that Tottenham team week in, week out. He was brilliant. You just know as soon as he cuts in onto his left foot, the other team must be thinking we're in danger here because nine times out of ten, he, he puts in a brilliant ball and it finds its intended target. It was fantastic. Just watching the highlights on Match of the Day, I think he was just showing his touches of the ball and just plucking out the air. It was fantastic. Uh, really, really good player. And I think there's certainly a lot more to come from him. I think he's only going to get better this season. Honestly, he is rapidly becoming one of my favourite footballers. I just love watching him play football. And like we said with Cesc, uh, Dejan Kulusevsky turned 22 three and a half months ago. It's just like, it's terrifying how almost feels like a complete player already, even though he must have so much more to learn still. Um, you know, his stats, first 19 Premier League games he's played in, 15 goal involvements in those 19 games, nine assists, six goals. Only Son and Kane have been involved in more goals than him in the Premier League since he arrived. And that's of all clubs in the Premier League, all players. It's just ridiculous. He's just, he's got a bit of everything. He's got the strength and physicality for the Premier League. I mean, how many times have we watched him bring the ball out of defence, just weaving in between tackles, not being knocked off the ball? Um, but along with that, he's kind of got the work rate to his game, that strength, that physicality, the height that Conte likes as well. But on top of that, He's also got the magic and the flair of someone like a Ginola from the past at Spurs. He's got everything. And then on top of that, he's got the finishing ability. I think he'll end up with probably, what, 15 goals, maybe more this season, because I think also he's got that side. That finish was just lovely for his goal. Um, and off the pitch, he's he's really interesting. We got to speak to him out in Israel, and, and he's he's a very thoughtful guy. He's a funny guy. Um yeah, he, he's clearly a thinker. He's clearly very intelligent. Um, and I think that comes out on the pitch. And it's one of those where you look at it and you think, how did Juve manage to waste him? Because he started so well there as well. It looked like he was going to become a proper player. And Paratici adores him. He thinks he's like going to be... There's a lot of people in that club that think he's going to be world-class very quickly. Conte is one of those people as well. Conte said he's got a great future ahead. Um, ahead of him. I think he actually used the expression ahead of us, which is even better in terms of all of us and, and Spurs as well. And, you know, and, and Kudosevsky has said it himself, he wants to be the best in the world in his position. And Conte said after the game, if he remains kind of with that humility and work rate that we know he's got, you know, he told me out in Israel that how he adores pain and how amazing it is and how it's, you know, that's how champions are, are forged essentially through pain and stuff. It was really interesting stuff. And Conte said, if he keeps that side, you wouldn't bet against him doing it because he's got everything to his game. The only thing you can maybe say, he hasn't got that exact burst of pace, but I would say his acceleration is quite good um, and his timing of knowing when to make that move. Because on paper, 
what he does, you know, he is both footed, but he clearly has a preference for cutting in onto his left foot. And on, you know, on paper, defences should be able to read that, stop those crosses, stop those kind of runs into the box. But they can't. And that's massive testament to that little burst of acceleration, the timing of when to do it, and also the technique that he has in doing it. So that cross for Sessegnon, that was pinpoint. That was a beautiful cross to the back post. And then his shot as well. Um, and he had a few moments where he played Sess through and he played Kane through, I think, as well. Maybe Son as well. And that's the beauty of Tottenham right now. Harry Kane and, and Sonny didn't, you know, they weren't really at the top of their game. Had some nice moments. I thought Sonny's movement was really nice, went a bit under the radar on Saturday. And then Kane had some nice moments in possession as well. But ultimately, Spurs didn't need them to be at their best because they had other players weighing in with the goals. Two defenders scored and Kudasevsky was just running the show. And I do think we're getting to this point now where you know, you're not even factoring in Richarlison and Lucas and players like that can come in. But I think those front three, they might be up there with potentially becoming the best front three in, in Europe. I, th I think they've got to be up there. I mean, Hassan Hootel said afterwards, you know, you're playing against world-class strikers. Even if you know what you're about to do with them, just one of the other ones can do something. So you can mark Kane and Son will do something. You can mark Son and Kane and Kulisevsky will do something. I just wonder how we used to always speak about Liverpool, you know, with, with um, uh, Salah, Mane and Firmino. I wonder whether Kane, Son and Kulusevski are going to be seen in that kind of light across Europe in the Champions League and stuff like that because that's a fearsome attacking trident. It really is. Yeah, 100% agree with you on that. Uh, Juventus must have some squad. So, you know, let Kulisevsky <laughs> go and then Benson Kerr as well, who deserves he was praise. Yesterday, uh, Saturday as well. Yeah, really good. Just getting on the ball, dictating play. He mm. he just doesn't panic because there was yeah. a bit in the second half when he got it in his own area. And a lot of players would have probably just, you know, hoofed the ball upfield. Just ran out of the box with it, even yeah. though the players around it is such a class player, Benson Kerr. And Kulisevsky, I thought, was outstanding. I know we've talked about the cross. It was pinpoint. It wasn't just like a floated cross. There was so much pace on it yeah, as well. Whipped, and that's just it whipped in, yeah. so hard to defend. And yeah, he's just a fantastic player. And I think everyone's just looking forward to seeing a lot more of him uh, throughout the season. On Kane's. Just, just to very quickly say, he could have had a, he could still have, I guess, a second season syndrome, you know, where people are more aware of him. But I think not only did this first game prove that's going to be a struggle, but I think the presence of Kane and Son in itself kind of negates that. Because if you put too much, you can't afford to really overload on Kulisevsky to stop him because then you're leaving Kane and Son free. It's like the best possible scenario for Kulisevsky to flourish in a second season because of those two next to him. Exactly, I was going to say exactly that. Oh, I think sorry. as well. <laughs> to jump right in there. No, 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 don't worry. Uh, I think with Kane and Son as well, I can't remember him having that many chances. The one what obviously sticks out is Son running into the area and not passing to Kane when Kane was in acres of space. And Kane was very unhappy, wasn't he? Kane basically, uh, you know, having the right go at him uh, a couple of times that he wasn't impressed at all. But other than that, I can't even remember Kane having kind of the attempt. shot at the end of the first half um from from uh, emerson's little pass through son had a couple 
that he kind of hit not too great shots low at the keeper. And he had one that wasn't too bad that the keeper pushed away as well. Um, but yeah, ultimately, yeah, they, they Spurs were able to have them off the boil a little bit, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Right, before we move on to transfers and Chelsea, as we're sponsored by NordVPN, Ali, you can tell everyone about the benefits of using NordVPN. Yes, NordVPN, if you're not aware of it, it's a, it's a VPN service, a virtual private network that uh, you can use in many different ways. I have used it in the past. Yes, they do sponsor this podcast, but I was using them before they came on board, so I kind of feel like I'm able to speak about them with a with an unbiased view um, because I've used them out on, certainly on Spurs preseason tours abroad. Um, you can use them from a security point of view. Of course, it makes everything far more secure on Whatever you're using them on, whatever gadget, whether it be a tablet, a laptop, a phone, whatever, um, you can download it as an app as well on your phone. It just creates a, a much more secure setting for your um, your gadget and stops those horrible people getting through and taking whatever you want on there that, um, or that you don't want them to get on there. But also, it's uh, a way of essentially using your device as if you're in a different place, as if you're back home. So let's say you wanted to watch your normal apps that you've paid for, um, things that you watch your TV on and stuff, but you're abroad in countries that it doesn't work doing that. You can use your VPN to just essentially use the server as if you're back at home. Um, and that allows you to use those things. And other people, I'm, I'm aware, of, have used it also to be able to watch, do, do the flip the flip side of that, of using it to watch, whether it be TV, movie, sport, um, from other countries. Other countries maybe have different versions of the apps we all use over here in the UK or, or different things that you can do on those apps. Um, it's very, very handy thing, NordVPN. It's very cool. Um, it's not the most expensive thing in the world either, um, but you can get a lot, a lot of benefits out of it. It sounds a bit like Silla Black there. You can get a lot of benefits from uh, using it. Um, like I say, security-wise, but also many other aspects and, and being able to view and, and use things that maybe you wouldn't able be able to normally in this country or abroad. Um, and, yeah, I think Guesty's got a little offer that you can get through the podcast as well, which it makes it um, even cheaper for you when you have a little dig around online and look at a far more better explanation than I've just given you about it. Yep, you can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guests to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free prep, free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right, shall we go on to transfers now? And possibly we're going to have another incoming this week with Destiny Doggy signing from Italian side Udinese. Fabio Paratici and Antonio Conte clearly planning for the future with the signing of the Italian under-21 international as he's going to be loaned back to the Serie A club for the season. I think it's a deal worth around £22 million, including add-ons. And, you know, a doggy did quite well in Serie A uh, last season and Paratici and Conte certainly think very highly of him. Yeah, people are going to have to bear with me on the pronunciation of his name. I guess he literally dropped on me uh, just as we were about to hit record on this. That it's Udogi, and I've been calling him Yudoji in recent days as well. So a bit like Paratici, how we used to call him Paratici. Um, it's probably going to take me a little while to, to switch my brain into the actual pro correct pronunciation. 
Um, but yeah, like you say, um, very exciting 19-year-old left wing back, Udinese, kind of was at Hellas Verona, I think, before, wasn't he? He's gone to Udinese, become a real breakout star in Serie A, England, uh, Italy under-21 international, and he appears to be on the verge of making his senior debut for Roberto Mancini's side. Um, from what I understand, I wrote this in my talking points yesterday, Spurs confident of getting that deal done now, um, and he will head back on loan. It's one of those those deals that's kind of a bit of a no-brainer. Um, Spurs always operate in two different ways in a transfer market. One is with their plan for the now, the positions they want to fill, the people that they want to sign for various roles to create the team for now. But they also will have a list of the young players who they're keeping an eye on for the future. And if a door opens, an opportunity arises, that they can maybe get in there and secure that player early. Because, you know, Udogi, next season, if he has another season like he has last, you know, there's going to be a lot of clubs, a lot of his price will have gone shot up. I know even right now, the likes, I think Man City have been looking at him, various teams in Italy have been looking at him as well. Um, so if Spurs get in there now, and I think they've benefited from the fact that they're willing to loan him back, um, where most clubs, you know, paying, what, say, 22 million or so wouldn't be in a position to do that or want to do that. But Spurs are happy to do that because of who they've got at the moment in Sessignon and Perisic as well. And also, I think the Conte factor, you know, um, Udogi wanted to play with or for Conte um, next season as well, which also points towards a longer stay from Conte. Another good thing. Um, so, yeah, Spurs are kind of shot to the front of the queue in that respect, and it looks like they're going to get that done. And uh, another one for our loan roundup to keep an eye on how it's progressing. You know, th this this way of operating in, in trying to get these young players early and loaning them back or even bringing them in early, it doesn't always work. It does work at times. It is, it's, it's kind of like a calculated risk, I guess, because the fees are slightly less. Um, obviously, I did it with Pape Mate Saar. We're yet to kind of see that work, but also another 19-year-old, he, he needs time. He needs to develop. Um, he he didn't make the bench, did he, on Saturday? So I know he was one of the ones that missed out as well. So you'd imagine he'll get a loan, you'd think. Uh, Brian Hill clearly hasn't worked. But again, we're talking about even in Brian Hill, he's one of the most talented young players in Spain. You know, he doesn't become a bad player just because maybe he isn't the perfect fit for the Premier League. And that's something Conte has said. You know, these players need to be right for the Premier League as well. Being incredibly talented isn't the only thing. Um, and that's where, you know, Doggy is six foot one. He's built quite physically strong by the looks of it. Um, and he will only continue to, uh, you know, develop and progress this season as well. And unlike Saar, he actually speaks really good English. Um, I wasn't aware of this when I wrote my piece yesterday, but then I saw a video, someone did a podcast with him, speaks excellent English. So that's going to really help his adaptation as well. Um, you know, last season, five goals, three assists from the left as a wing-back in his first real breakthrough season. And yeah, they've got high hopes for him, Spurs. They believe that next summer he can really come in and, and put a bit of, a, I guess, a cat among the pigeons because it's, it's it's no shock in Serie A last season. The two uh, left fullbacks, wingbacks, whatever you want to call it, with the most goal contributions were Perisic and Udogi. <laughs> and they will both be Spurs players probably by the, you know, by the end of this week. So, yeah, it, it is a no-brainer. There's no way Spurs will be paying 22 million up front either. Some of that is in add-ons. I'm sure it will probably be installments, knowing the way Spurs work as well. 
Um, so it's a clever one. And what it kind of, for me, I want to get your take on this in a minute, is like it kind of feels like a post-Perisic uh, Perisic signing, you know, planning for maybe, because obviously next summer he'll be 34, heading towards 35. Sessegnon will be 23. Is it someone who plays alongside Sessegnon as the other option? Or, you know, Perisic is an ultra-fit guy. You know, does it actually also put pressure on Sessegnon this season? Yeah, yeah. Uh... I think it does. I think when you're looking at the deal, you're probably thinking, yeah, it's for post-Perisic, but Perisic, you know, hasn't had like serious injuries throughout his career. He's an extremely fit player. I think I read something previously that he's looking to go on probably until late 30. So he has signed a two-year contract at Tottenham, but providing... No, he remains fit and he can be a big hit at Tottenham and get the goals and assists like he has done at Inter Milan, then you probably wouldn't rule out a third year for him, providing yeah. everything, you know, goes goes to plan. Uh but with a doggy coming in, uh someone there, if he can replicate what he did for Udinese last season, get even better. He's on the, you know, verge of potentially breaking into Roberto Mancini's Italy team. There's uh, a really, really good player there. And I actually listened to the podcast. It was the Italian football show podcast, I think it's called. And he has played as a, a Mezzala, the position's called, uh, coming through the ranks in the Italy team. I think it was like under 16s, under 17s. I think that's basically a wide midfielder. So in the midfield three, he'd be playing on the left. So he's capable of playing there. He did say he's uh does favour playing as a left back, left wing back. Uh but no, he's uh they're certainly planned for the future and you know if everything goes right, what we're reading about him, Spurs are gonna have another good player on the hands. Yeah, it is. It's it's all about the squad. <laughs> it's all about increasing the quality of the squad and if both Conte and Paratici are in kind of alignment on how good they think he's going to be, it is a no-brainer. You know, as we are just saying, the other player that they're both in agreement on very much so, Dejan Kulisevsky. If, they, if those two guys speak and they believe, I think we have to listen. So, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what he can do this season for Udinese um, and then, obviously, what he can do for Tottenham next year. Right, transfer outgoings now. We've had a number of incomings at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Now it's about moving players out of the door. Obviously, the Tottenham four of Sergio Reguilón, Harry Winks, Tongi Ondombele, Giovanni Celso still remain at the club, but there's now talk of not only Lo Celso going to Villarreal, potentially they're looking at Tongi Ondombele and it might be loan deals for both. I think Tottenham just need to get them out of the door. Yeah, I think we're at a case now where they are. That That's the feeling. And it's sad, really, because they're both two very talented players. And let's be honest, they were before Richarlison came along, they were the two most expensive players bought in Spurs history. And now we're at a stage where Spurs just want to get Ondombele and Lo Celso out the door. They do. And, and then they're willing to accept loans. Um, there's talk that, you know, there'd be a, an option to buy that would be quite easy to fulfil just to make sure it's almost an obligation to buy, I guess. But, you know, we know Villarreal definitely want to sell so. He is certainly one that they really like. He did good stuff for them on loan, obviously helped them get to semifinals of Champions League. Um, the Tongi stuff, 
Um, you know, obviously it's being reported that they also wanted him as well. I certainly know how kind of how much they want Lo Celso. But the the issue with Villarreal, and you kind of said this to me earlier, and it's quite right, is that they're not really a big fee-paying club. That's not really how they operate. So I can't imagine that the options to buy these two guys are going to be anywhere near. I'd, I'd even say they're probably going to be less than half of what Spurs paid for them. Um, I think for Spurs now, it's just a case of getting them off the wage bill, getting them out the club, you know, without sounding too brutal, but it kind of they're, they're going to play no part in this season under Conte, or certainly that's what they've been informed anyway. Um, and yeah, it's just a case now. I think we've reached that point where we've got to the start of the season and these four players haven't gone anywhere. And I think from all sides, things start to change. The players start to see everyone else playing Premier League football and feel like, okay, I am now missing out. This isn't just me missing out on Conte's, you know, tough training sessions or whatever. Um, and also, I think from the other side, the other clubs who maybe were holding off looking for a better price, they're now getting into the start of their season and seeing where they need new bodies in their squad, where they desperately want to make sure their coach has got everything they've got. So I think this is when you start to see these outgoings properly move out the door. I mean, who is Spurs? I was trying to think. Who's Spurs got out the door so far? They've got um, Roden, Bergvine, Troy Parrott, Dane Scarlett, Keanu Tete. And am I forgetting anyone? Cameron Carter-Vickers. Oh, Cameron Carter-Vickers uh, right at the start, yeah. Jack, Jack Clark as well. I think it's se- seven outgoings, f- four on loan, is it? F- right. Three permanent, four on loan, or vice versa, yeah. yeah. Troy, D- Troy Dane, Joe Roden, and... I think that's it. And then uh, there'll be Atete, Clark, Cam- Cameron Carter-Vickers and Bergwijn will be the permanent yeah. players. Yeah. Sad about Atete. I think Atete is going to be a very good player. But I can understand his position as well. You know, with Troy and Dane signing new contracts recently, Spurs, you know, getting about half a million for him. Plus, uh, I think there's a sell-on clause as well. So, uh, yeah. But in terms of the, the other four... Um, yeah, it's just a case now of, of them probably wanting to get out the door. I'm sure they do. Um, it'd be very, I'd be very interested to see if Villarreal do end up going for both on Dembele and Lo Celso. I don't know if that makes perfect sense to me. Um, I have no doubt that, you know, if these stories are coming out, they certainly have inquired about on Dembele as well. Um, and, you know, you do look at it and you, you wonder about, because obviously Spurs have tried to sign Pau Torres last summer as well. I was wondering whether there ends up being some kind of merry-go-round situation um, with it all. Obviously, Longley, we know, can play in the centre of a back three as well. So you could feasibly bring in Torres um, as well, but certainly ups the quality levels of the back three. But it kind of seems to have gone a little bit quiet there, hasn't it, this summer with Pau Torres? Um, So, yeah, in terms of outgoings, back to outgoings again. Yeah, I think... I think Lo Celso to Villarreal certainly makes the most sense. And he looked comfortable there, looked happy there. Um, we've got Juan Foyth there as well, obviously, who knows very well. Um, so in terms of settling in, I'm sure it's no problem whatsoever. And we'll see with Tongi. Tongi, without being harsh or meaning to be harsh, I think it's easier to move on Lo Celso than it is Tongi. Because Tongi's obviously, I think Tongi's got bigger wages, I think, as well than, than Gio. I might be wrong, but I think he has. And obviously with Gio, he's got those, what, 
four months worth of a very good loan at Villarreal behind him for any potential suitors. Whereas obviously Tongi went away, went to uh, back to Leon and didn't really do much to impress. He had some little glimpses and moments, but nothing really that was crying out to potential suitors. And I, I'm surprised, to be honest, that Sergio Regulon hasn't kind of been snapped up as well. I do think, especially for Spanish clubs, he, he almost... It's a bit of a no-brainer. I think he'll go back there and do very well. And I think some Italian sides have been looking at him as well. Um, and with Harry Winks, it kind of all felt like he was Everton-bound. And then something happened there. There was a little bit of a U-turn there in, in terms of the way they were looking at it. And and now, who knows where he could end up? I, I guess I wonder whether maybe he has to slightly change his view on where he's going. I think there was some interest from Palace early on. And may, maybe for him, it's just a case now of playing football. I just wondered, I don't know what you think, could this be a scenario where all four players head out on loan? Quite possibly. I can see it going late into the window when they're still at the club. Uh, in terms of Geo, I thought it had been gone by now, given yeah. how well he'd done at Villarreal last season. There's been talk of, you know, Tottenham could potentially accept, what, 15, 20, just over 20 million for him. Yeah. That's a really good price for La Celso because... That's less he's than an, half what he was bought for. Yeah. He's an Argentina international, plays regularly for them and does well on the international stage. Versatile as well. Yeah. Yeah, of course he is. Uh, had a really, really good loan spell at Villarreal. Played in the Liga before at Real Betis. That's where why Tottenham wanted to sign him because he was so good playing there for Betis. So I'm surprised he's, he's still at the club. Uh, Tongi, I think, was always going to be a deal what potentially dragged on a lot longer just because it was such a underwhelming loan spell for him uh, at Leon. I always thought there was never going to be a number of clubs, you know, looking to sign him permanently. I thought if Tongi's going to go, it's going to have to be another loan. Reguillon... He's in every window, though, with Tongi as well. Yeah, this isn't it the has. first window this has happened in. No, uh, Reguillon, he was linked with a move back to Sevilla after doing so well uh, with them prior to his permanent Tottenham move. But they've got Alex Tellers from Manchester United now. Yeah. And they've already got a left-back, I uh, can't remember his name, Acuna, I think it is, Argentina International. So there's got to be no space for him at Sevilla. So it's going to be interesting where he goes and then terms of Harry Winks, I can't see him moving to Everton now, just because we're signing Onana from Lille and then Idrissa Gandagay is coming back from PSG. So I, I don't know where he'll go. He'll get a Premier League move. Yeah, I think there'll be options for him. I just thought someone might have snapped him up by now because, you know, he's a good player. I know he's not being at his best in recent seasons for something and he's not played a lot of football, but there's still a good player there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He's still reasonably, relatively young, isn't he? Um, like I said, I just wonder whether it's about refocusing the level that I think he expects to play at, you know? I don't, although I don't know whether someone like Newcastle would need him or whether he looks, someone like Scotty Parker maybe looks to bring him in, you know? I think he'd do a very, very good job there. But, yeah, it's all about, I guess, where you see yourself at this point in, in his career, I guess. I think, obviously, he's going to want to go to the best club possible. Yeah. But I think the longer it drags drags on, Harry Winks needs to be playing 
first team football, whether it is like at Bournemouth, like you said, or somewhere else, because in the past two seasons, he's barely played. Oh, so yeah. for him now, he has got to be playing. Simple yeah, he's as that. He's got lost two seasons of his career, really. Yeah. 100%. Right, let's move on to this weekend's game against Chelsea. We'll have a, a brief look at it. Chelsea uh, winning on the, the opening weekend of the season, 1-0 at Everton. Uh, so it's, uh, I think it's a good time to be playing Chelsea. They're clearly not at, at the best at the moment. They've had a number of changes at the club, a few new signings coming in, lost some key players such as Antonio Rudiger and over Tottenham have a bit of a wretched record at Stamford Bridge and lost three games against them in January. I think this is one Antonio Conte and his Tottenham team are looking forward to. Yeah, I think so. Didn't he say towards the end of the season he'd like to play Chelsea again at that point? Yeah, that was after the win against West Ham, uh, right. mid-March. So, yeah, there was a big improvement from January up until mid-March. So, Spurs have kicked on even more since then. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he's looking forward to this one. Yeah, exactly. That That's that's my thinking, really, is that they've even surpassed where they were then now and with a stronger squad. That was the always the thing in matches against Chelsea was that and this goes back all the way, like to the Poch era as well, of being able to see Chelsea bring players off the bench that can completely transform a game and are as good as their starting eleven. And this is where we're at. We're just talking about it a lot, you know. And Spurs now will go into Sunday's game with options galore on the bench or on the pitch and able to the, the whole. Let's be honest. I remember, was it Sean Dyche was moaning about the five substitute rule because of how it affected the bigger clubs in a, a more positive way. And it, it's true. I don't think there's any getting away from it. You know, now Spurs will be able to bring on, you know, ridiculous changes to matches as the big clubs can. You know, I was just watching the Man City against West Ham game yesterday. <laughs> We're just bringing players off the bench of Man City. You're like, oh, man, this is incredible. And Spurs are now going to be in that scenario where, you know, if Kulusevsky's flagging a little bit or they just want a little bit of something, Richarlison comes on. You know, £60 million player kind of thing. It, it's such a different Tottenham. And I think... It is a, on paper. Of course, it's a good time to play Chelsea. I think Spurs' preparations are maybe slightly advanced than Chelsea's because Chelsea are integrating these new players into their lineup, whereas Spurs, like we said, have got that set 11 already there and they're kind of supplementing that rather than rebuilding that. Um, it'd be interesting to see what Chelsea's defence are like. Obviously, kept a clean sheet against um, you know a rather blunt Everton City team. Maybe not the best representation of how their defence are going to deal with it. Um, but you'd think, as we said, Kane, Son, Kulisevsky, Richarlison, Lucas to come off that bench and the flying wing-backs, you'd hope that they'll give them a test and certainly more of a test than that uh, that Toffees team. Um, but yeah, it'll, uh, it'll hopefully will be a different game. Those three games last season were just... They're as close to a waste of time as you can possibly get. You just knew what the result was going to be. Conte knew what the result was going to be. He kept talking about the important gap. And to be fair, I think him constantly mentioning that didn't help either because everyone was well aware they were going to lose the games, including the players. Um, and now, yeah, it's going to be a different game. Stamford Bridge is still a horrible place for Spurs to go to. They really do struggle. There's kind of the one win in the Premier League, I think, isn't it, in 20-something years, 24, 25 years, maybe more. Um, but, yeah, 
It'll, um, I think they played Chelsea's second game of the season when they were at Wembley, didn't they? A couple of seasons back, I seem to remember that. Um, obviously, this time being away, I, 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 yeah, I think getting them in early is not the worst thing in the world at all because I think Tuchel's a very good manager and I think he will start to get them as he wants them to be. But if you can maybe get them now where they're slightly in that developmental stage, it could benefit Tottenham and a, and a very a settled Tottenham as well. It's going to be interesting to see what Antonio Conte does in terms of the Tottenham team at the weekend. I think a lot of the players who started against Saints will still be in the team. For me, it's probably just the two positions up for debate, the wing-back roles. Yeah. But I, I think Emerson has played his way into a starting spot. Uh, I thought it was really good against Saints. You've got his defensive qualities yeah. now, and though he's not fully fit yet, so I think for me, Emerson will start. He did well at Anfield at the end of last season against yeah. Man City at the Etihad yeah. as well. I don't think Conte will well. have any qualms about starting him. I think the position really up for debate is left wing-back. Which would played, be so harsh on Cess, wouldn't I it? I know. I know. This is the thing. He played so, so well and doesn't deserve to be dropped. But it's whether Conte feels he just wants a bit more experience in there. Someone with, you know, a bit of nous of playing in the big games, maybe. Yeah. Play devil's advocate, though, is putting in a 70%, 80% fit Perisic a good idea against you know up against the likes of Sterling and people like that and who, who might be coming at him you know you've got kind of got that to take into account as well and there's a psychological aspect with Cess I get I don't think that's always down to the manager I think that, that that kind of players have to deal with that if he is dropped um but yeah I just wonder that big game player certainly but if he is slightly rusty is this the game you throw him into from the start yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. And, you know, a full Premier League debut, it'd be if he starts as well. So that's certainly uh, a decision he has to make. I think 10 out of the 11, he probably knows it's just this left wing back role. We'll have to wait and see. But what we could also potentially see is the first glimpse of Richarlison in the Tottenham shirt in the Premier League as he is back from his one match ban this weekend. So. I don't think he'll be starting the game, but I'm sure, like we saw on Saturday, he will be uh, someone who will be introduced, uh, like Basuma was, like Longley was as well. So I think we will be seeing the new signings playing. It might just be off the bench once again. Yeah, yeah. Richarlison, Richarlison's looked good in pre-season. I've liked, he hasn't scored, but he's looked a threat every single time. He looks a real handful as well. Um, but yeah, I don't think, yeah, I think Bazuma, I think it's too early for him. Um, unless there's an injury, I don't think Longley comes in. I thought Davies was very solid uh, against Southampton, played well, and obviously gives you that attacking thrust as well. Yeah, I think it's only injury-wise. I can't see why you'd change that, that team, really. Um, as I say, I think the key for Spurs going into this game is stability. I think that's what they have over Chelsea going into this match. And I would keep that team as stable and as knowledge of where each other is on the pitch. And, and yeah, all of that, I think it makes it far easier from a tactical standpoint. Obviously, you could say that from Chelsea's point of view, it makes it a little bit easier to predict what Spurs are going to do. 
but then I think that's where the extremely impressive bench comes into um, operation and, and you can suddenly change it up at a moment's notice. Yeah, it's going to be a, a really good game this weekend. Good test for both teams and certainly one I think I'm certainly looking forward to and I think a number of Tottenham fans probably will be looking forward to it. I know trips to Stamford Bridge haven't been the best in the past, but there's a lot of confidence around, yeah. <laughs> around the club uh, at the moment. And hopefully when we're back on the podcast next week, we will be talking about another Tottenham win. Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tot Tottenham. As ever, you can just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.